All cool dude. I grew up like most kids, worried I couldn't bench two plates, that I wouldn't fit in, that I wouldn't find love. Then I discovered partying, and suddenly all those worries went to the wayside. I didn't need love. I had keg stands. I discovered I was great at raging, and it revealed wonderful things about myself. I could relate to bros, regardless of what kind of bro they were. I could be at a party and moon people, and everyone would laugh, you know, be witty. Or, I could play beer pong and compete with real integrity. In short, I fulfilled my potential. The Nightcap on WGR Sports Radio 550. So I don't know if you could have guessed, I said it, but you could have guessed that uh, yesterday's show when it got going, as you have might have heard, I, I usually have my coffee right before the show. Yesterday, that was not the case. thought I still had the energy level up. Today, let me tell you, I'm on cup three already, so it's going to be a long night for me. It's going to be a long night, and this is going to be a very energetic show I can uh, I can guess. So, that being said, Royal Blue Saber jerseys, Bills preseason game tomorrow. I got no show tomorrow, so we'll do a little bit on the UFC card. There's a big UFC card on Saturday. Get into that a little bit much later on in the show. Plus, there's some preseason action tonight. Raiders and Cardinals is going to be on national TV. That'll be on ESPN in about an hour. So, if you're looking for a little football, get a little taste. That'll be on in about an hour. And, uh... I think there's a couple other games tonight. Jaguars-Eagles, which is just about to get going. Bengals-Redskins. Jets-Falcons. Packers-Ravens. Oh, that's right, because there is actually going to be a red zone tonight. So, if you miss the red zone, I don't really know how that's going to work past the first and second quarter, because I would have to think Scott Hansen from NFL Network is going to get a little bored of guys that he's never heard of before playing. But if you miss the red zone, you miss the uh, the witching hour, as it's been known to, uh, to be called, that that time between three and four o'clock on Sundays. That is just it's crazy. All the close games going back and forth. If you're used to that on red zone, well, maybe you'll get a little preview of uh, of that tonight. They're gonna try it out with the preseason. So we'll keep tabs on all of that. Injuries we're looking out for. Fantasy stuff that you're looking for. Reps, rookie wide receivers. If you're a fantasy owner and you got a draft coming up, I got a big draft on Saturday. You might be looking for I don't know what the Redskins are going to be doing at wide receiver. They play tonight. Who? What's going to be going on there? If you're having to draft a Redskins receiver, you're probably not in a very good spot because Josh Doxson's their number one guy, and I'm sure 60% of you don't even know who that is. So that's the kind of stuff we'll be looking out for tonight as well. But I want to start with the uh, the good news of the day. The great news of the day. I didn't see it coming. I, I don't know how you could have. It's not really a Friday news drop. But maybe the Sabres, you know, looking out for the Bills a little bit. They're thinking, okay, they got a game tomorrow. We don't want to hog share the spotlight with them tomorrow. So we're going to release our Friday news dump today, even though it's good news. The Sabres are going back to royal blue. All right. That's the thing we've been wanting for so long. If you are a member or a part of Saber Twitter, I mean, you had, you've had you seen it every time something jersey-related or wallpaper, like phone-related, would be released by the Sabres on social media. 
it was always met, even like roster stuff, always met with go back to Royal Blue, go back to Royal Blue, we want Royal Blue, we want Royal Blue. The demand was way up there for it. And it was a layup. It was such a layup. And I'm so glad that they did it. And a couple of things, though, that are interesting about the announcement. For one, not often do I do I typically see teams announcing something like that, a color scheme change or a jersey change, a year in advance. But the Sabres maybe went off the beaten path here, and I think for good reason. They knew, and I think fair enough, if this would have happened, but they knew that tomorrow, when that third jersey gets released, and I think we're expecting it to look something like the leaked jersey from a couple weeks ago, white jersey, gold stripes, really nice touch in the middle of the logo, where it is the normal Sabre logo, but the swords and the buffalo are gold instead of white. Pretty cool. Sharp. We're expecting it to look something like that, although, maybe not. Chad D. Dominicus of... uh, Where's Chad? You know Chad. On Twitter. Um, Follows the Sabres, reports for the Sabres. uh, Die by the Blade. He tweeted out that, hey, I maybe have heard that it's not going to look like that leaked jersey. It might not be white. So maybe it's not that. But no matter what it was going to be, it didn't sound like it was going to be royal blue. Maybe it is, but it didn't sound like that. Whatever they would have announced tomorrow... I think they knew was going to be met with, we want royal blue. And almost not caring what it looks like. Whereas now, you tell everybody, hey, one more year. Maybe there's NHL restrictions in place. But for whatever reason, just you got to wait one more year. Which, by the way, kind of is fitting anyway. Because next year is actually the 50th season of the Sabres. Next year is actually the 50th anniversary of the Sabres. This year is the 49th. But... You know, we want to, I guess they want to, the NHL wants to pretend that the lockout didn't happen and that there was a canceled season. So we'll go along with it. But next year's their real 50th season, their 50th anniversary. They'll have Royal Blue. All right, cool. Now, sigh of relief. You're not as, uh, you're not as tense about it, hoping for it, because you know it's going to happen. So whatever happens tomorrow with this third jersey, they'll catch a little bit of a break, I think even if it's something that we don't like. But by all indications that I've seen, and if it looks anything like this leaked jersey, I think fans are going to like this jersey. Going to feature gold, and that's cool. It's not the royal blue we want, but it is cool, and I love the the all-white look. The white gloves, like Vegas did this when they came to the league. I thought that was really cool. And the Sabres could even take it a step further, maybe go white pants and just go a full white lineup. Which, you know, maybe it might be hard to see them on TV if you're going to the extent I'm talking about. Maybe you don't go all all-white. Some trim on the jerseys so you can see them. If they're just not blending into the ice. On the other hand, though, that could be good, wouldn't it? They're like iguanas out there. They can't win hockey games the normal way, so let's, gonna, let's try to hide so that the, t- the opponent, opposing team can't see us coming. I don't know. I think this jersey is going to be cool tomorrow. I'm looking forward to seeing what it looks like. 10 a.m. it's going to be announced. Um, I don't really know how they're announcing it, if they're doing it via social media. I wonder if they'll do it via the instigators, who uh, will be on tomorrow at 10 o'clock. I would anticipate that that's a pretty good idea, so 
probably will happen. So 10 a.m., look out for what that Sabre third jersey is going to look like. And it looks like fans are very excited about this change. Um, The one thing that I'm still hoping for, though, that I'm not sure if this will be attainable, is when the Sabres have these special decades nights that they teased last month. There's going to be a 90s night. There's going to be, or like a red and black night. There's going to be a slug night. There's going to be special nights to commemorate each different era in Sabre history. On a night like that, like it's red and black night, are they going to be able to wear the red and black jerseys in a game? If they aren't able to do it because of NHL restrictions, well then the NHL really, really, really needs to look in the mirror and realize that they need to be a little more fun. And not so strict with the jersey stuff. Or if it's Adidas, whatever it is. The sport needs to find a way to allow stuff like that to happen. That would be cool. And that fans, I think, would really dig. Especially fans of my generation. That haven't seen that jersey in over a decade. And, I don't know, I'm kind of anticipating that if you don't see it on a season like this, it'll never get worn again. So, I'm hoping for a night like that. We'll see. Um, but I'm not holding my breath that we are going to get those in games. Maybe it's a situation like where you get it in the warm-ups and then they auction them off, something like that. And that would just be... I would just be so disappointed in that. The warm-up thing doesn't do anything for me. It doesn't do anything for me. How many fans are even in the arena at that point for that? I mean, a good amount, but you're doing that for 12,000 fans? Not even an entire arena let alone almost nobody on tv will get to see him other than a couple of flash shots before you go to commercial or in pregame so i'm hoping they go that far i'm hoping they're able to go that far because i think that would be a really cool thing even the slug you know i I don't love the slug but one game that's not gonna kill anybody i'd be down with it so we'll see 803 by the way, if you want to get in on the conversation tonight. And we'll talk plenty of bills, things I'm looking for in tomorrow night's preseason game, the running back situation, I'll dive into that, Josh Allen, etc. But I do want to kind of wrap up the Sabre thing in the first segment here, get all, my, get all the hockey thoughts out of the way early. And Paul was in earlier with Bulldog, and they were going back and forth on the roster and what it could look like. And... I think, of course, it's interesting that they haven't really gotten rid of anybody. Like, they've added pieces but not gotten rid of anybody. That does not mean to me, though, that the roster is going to look like what it does now. I don't I don't think it's going to look anywhere near it. I don't think Sabotka is going to be here. I don't think Larson or Giergensen are going to be here. Maybe one will, but I don't think both. I'm giving the Sabres enough credit where I think they will recognize that they've got too much dead weight. Still. And it's just about gone. Bogosian's got one year left. Scandella's got one year left. Giergensen and Larson, you don't need to keep them if you don't want to. Scott Wilson, like these guys that if you have needed to play role players' roles on your team for the past few years and have not shown to be capable of it, no longer have to be here. Not even just on the long term, but now on the short term. Find a place for Saboka to play. Find a place for... Uh, find a place for Matt Hunwick to play. Um, find a place for Zach Bogosian to play. There really is 
there really is enough for them to do uh, on the roster still that doesn't really affect all of that. But I really, when I'm thinking about their roster right now, it is the bottom six. It's the bottom four defensemen, and there's enough to be done still where I don't want to crush them for not changing over the roster, not cycling through all these spare parts and getting fresher, get improving the bottom six, improving the secondary scoring, the secondary defensemen. I don't want to yet criticize them for not doing that because last year I would have criticized them for not adding up front and then in the middle of August they added Jeff Skinner and then boom, fixed. At least that part was. Like a first-line winger, we had it. That was something they needed and they did it very late in the offseason. And look around the league. All these RFAs that have yet to sign... Jake Gardner has yet to sign. Even, hell, Brian Boyle's yet to sign. There's a lot that needs to happen. And that includes the Sabres. Obviously, they just need to get under the cap in the first place. And really, when you look at all of those players down there, like who really needs to go? Who actually needs to go? And who could, who would I be okay with really winning a roster spot and being on the team opening night? The guys that I think absolutely... You cannot have here next season. Vladimir Sabotka is at right at the top of the list. Just does not do anything for me. Travis Yost from TSN, I think once called him on our station, the worst player that played in the NHL last season. And I don't I don't really disagree with that. You've got Scott Wilson down there. I don't need him on this team. I wouldn't like to see him on this team. I think something bad has happened if he makes this team. Uh Larson or Gergensen's one of them I would not one of them I would want gone. One of them I would want gone. And then on the blue line, get Bogosian and Scandella off this roster. That is not just the players they are. That's the cap flexibility. They need to do stuff, right? They need to add a second line center. They still need to add some other pieces. They're going to have to pay a goalie at some point. You would hope they have a goalie good enough where he's in the three, four, five million dollar range. I don't want to pay a guy 10, but... Somewhere that's a little bit of a bump up. And hell, if the Sabres are going through the season this year, and they're good. They're good. Maybe they have a 10-game win streak, but this time, Jason Bottrell wants to, instead of letting it sit and hope that it's going to continue to go that way, he's going to want to add to it to make sure they make the playoffs. They currently don't have the flexibility to do that. They are over the cap. They literally can't do anything. They could trade Ristolainen and get a player that has a very similar salary coming back. That's about it. Bogosian and Scandella off this roster is the key to going through the year and having the flexibility to add if you want to. And if you think you're good enough to warrant that. And finally, we've reached a point with those two players that they have the cap hits that are not good, but... Now that the term is only one year, find a team that can stomach it for one year that has cap space and might want to add a depth defenseman when it has some sort of value to them. But here, given the type of defenseman the Sabres are bringing in, Colin Miller, puck mover. Brandon Montour, puck mover. Henry Yokiharyu, puck mover. They're bringing in guys that are a certain type of defenseman. They are the modern-day NHL defensemen. Not only does Ristolainen not fit that, but certainly Zach Bogosian and Marco Scandella do not fit that. And that is $9-plus million on my cap. 
They can get under the salary cap without having to do those moves. They can. They get Saboka out of here. They save a million there. They put uh, Hunwick on long-term injured reserve. They trade out somebody like a lower salary. They waive Larson or Gergensen's. That would be another million. They can get under the cap, but it'll be tight. Where And they can even trade Ristolainen away. But when it comes to real roster flexibility, which I would like to see the Sabres have this year, because I'd like to, them to finally be good one of these seasons, you know? And it would really help if you're not committing a Poso 6 million, Bogosian 5.142, Scandella 4. That is 15 million bucks to three players that are not giving me a whole lot. One of them's not going anywhere in a Poso, but nine of it can go somewhere, I think. And they no longer need guys like Bogosian and Scandella to play 20 minutes a night. I don't think they're the worst defenseman in the world, but I don't think you need them anymore for what they were doing for you. You've improved. You've upgraded. And it's funny, you look at their cap-friendly page, you look at how their cap is set up, their three highest-paid defensemen are those old-school type of defensemen that I think they're trying to move on from. Ristolainen's their highest-paid defenseman. Bogosian is second. Scandella is third. I think I've reached a point where, even though I'm still... I don't need Ristolainen traded, but I think I've reached a point where I'd like to see him traded. Excuse me. Maybe let's look at a team opening night that doesn't have any of those three on the roster. Colin Miller is your highest-paid defenseman at 3.875. That would be nice. And I think that would be a better blue line, a more efficient blue line, a better passing blue line, a more offensive blue line, and no more having to argue. Well, we'll still probably have to argue it, but no more looking for the defensemen that are going to cross-check you in front of the net, are going to play well in their own end. Because I think the Sabres are finally getting, like many teams around the league have understood, that... We don't, we don't really want our defensemen to just be good at playing in their own end. We'd rather have defensemen that are never playing in their own end in the first place. That's the comparable. That's when, nowadays, you look like they've got the souped-up version of Casey Nelson in Colin Miller and Brandon Montour and even Yoki Haru. But like whenever like Paul was in here today and he was talking about how maybe Nelson and Scandella might be locked in a roster battle to win that seventh defenseman spot. And he put Scandella in there, which is fine. Like, I don't I don't need Casey Nelson on this team. But I would, not 10 times out of 10, pick Nelson for that. Why? I would acknowledge Scandella is better in his own end. But Nelson's not in his own end as much. That's the transformation that has happened in the NHL with defensemen. And that's the transformation the Sabres and Jason Bottrell have made on their blue line this offseason. Is Colin Miller the best defenseman in the world in his own end? No, but he's not in it as much as these other guys. Is Brandon Montour the best defenseman in his own end? No, but he's not in it as much as Ristolainen, and Bogosian, and Scandella. And they're very close to completing that transformation by getting a couple of big salary players away from their team that they don't need anymore and utilize that cap space in other areas like second-line center, wingers, uh, right-wingers. They could still use another really good one. And the last piece of the puzzle would be goaltender to me, but hey, you never know. 
What if the Sabres, you could want one. What if they're third? What if they're third in the division, like going near the trade deadline, and Carter Hutton and Olmark, they're okay, but they're not quite getting the job done for you. You might want to trade for one, and you would need that cap space to do that. I don't know who the top goalies would even be on the market uh, for the NHL. So, maybe you wouldn't want to do that. Braden Holpe, Corey Crawford. They're, they're, hey, I'll throw this out there. This is a big what if. This is a big stretch. I I can't believe I'm about to say this on August 15th. The Sabres are a really good team, which might not happen. And... Washington, no, nah, that's never going to happen. Never mind. I was going to say, you could trade for Braden Holpe. You could do it. We had a, we had a, a Washington Capitals guest on. We were talking to Marcus Johansson like a month ago, and we asked him about Nicholas Backstrom, their star centerman, being a UFA next offseason. He said there's no chance he's going anywhere. But before we could even ask a follow-up, he said, I wouldn't be surprised if Holpe's not here next year. Washington's got Ilya Samsonov coming, who is like one of the best young goalie prospects in the world. It's kind of like the Vasilevsky-Ben Bishop situation in Tampa. Tampa had Vasilevsky, who's like the number one goalie prospect in the world. Bishop was really good, but they knew this kid was coming. And they had him back up for a year or two, and then they knew he was going to take over, so they traded Bishop. And right before he was UFA. Right before he was UFA. And... That might happen in Washington. If Samsonov this year, he's already been a backup for a year. If he shows up this year and he's just amazing, which could very well happen, then maybe Washington wants to trade away Brayden Holpe to get something really good back in return. So that could happen. And if you want to go for far-fetched ideas like that, you're going to have to have the cap space to do it. Best way for the Sabres to have the cap space to do that is, one, get Vladimir Saboka on a plane, get him back to Europe so he can play over there, and two, find a way to move out the the contracts of Bogosian and Scandella. Those would almost honestly be my number one goals before a Ristolainen trade. 803-0550 is the phone number. We will switch to football after the break. Uh, little MMA talk way later in the show as well because there's a big UFC card on Saturday, and I will not be on with you tomorrow because, of course, the Bills play the Panthers tomorrow. When we come back, though, I got three things that I'm most looking for in tomorrow's preseason game. They all pertain to the offense. I'll go over those with you after this. It's the Nightcap with Jody Biasi. Give me your calls at 803-0550. We'll get you right on here on WGR. You don't want to see him run as much. You don't want to have to see him being the second leading rusher on the team this year. You'd like to see him stay there a little bit more patient and to be able to make the throws. He's going to be somewhat inconsistent throwing the football, but I think he's going to be better throwing it this year than he was a year ago. And you like to see him get through progressions a little bit better than what he did last year. It was a good alternative for him to pull the ball down and run, but a lot of it was a really leaky offensive line last year. And they should be better this year, so I'd like to see him stay in the pocket a little bit more. Brian Baldinger, Radio.com Insider with Jeremy White yesterday morning on Josh Allen. I don't really think, uh, honestly, if he if you told me he ran more this year, I'd be okay with it. If you told me the Bills had, and this could happen, because if this were the case, they probably wouldn't want to show this off in media uh, available practices or in preseason, but... I'd be okay if you told me that uh, 
Josh Allen's going to be running some designed runs this year. Baltimore's going to do it with Lamar Jackson. I don't want him doing it all the time, but I'm not, I don't even know if this guy is good yet. All right? I don't even know if this guy can be good. And I already want to, like, he's only got so many tools in the shed, and I want to take the one away that I know works. The only one away that I know works so far. My brother Lou DiBiase, who does the late night discussions here on WGR on social media, his poll last night was essentially, should Allen be dialing the running back? Should we dial it back for him? And my answer to that is just a resounding no. It's the only thing at this point we know he's great at. Including all of the passing. Deep ball, passing, everything. He, he can chuck it. I'll give you that. But his efficiency is not there yet with it. So, he was good in areas last year. What was he great at running? How many quarterbacks in the league can jump over a linebacker like that? Like, all honesty. He has some insane athletic ability that they should utilize. Because this team needs to win. And if that's going if if to give you any sort of advantage to finally be in a divisional race with a team like the Patriots, then you need to take it. Because the other thing, too, about this is... And I don't, I don't really think they're going to dial it back. I think, if anything, maybe they do throw in some design runs. I would love to see that. I really would. I think this regime understands... I want to think they understand what it's been like here for 20 years. What it has been like. Just never, almost ever being competitive. And they're on year three. Made the playoffs the first year. Whether that buys them extra time or not, I think it probably buys them some extra time to figure the whole thing out. Should it? I don't think so, but it probably will. I think they understand that they need to win. And they need, they, they need at least to be in a playoff race this season. And you look at that offense currently, and there's reason to be optimistic about almost all of it, except really tight end. Receiver with Brown and Beasley, who have been good receivers in the NFL. But at the end of the day, you know, 1,000-yard receiver between the two of them, it's not like they added superstars here. They're good, but... Like I just said, 1,000-yard season between the two of them. There's a reason for that. They're good, not great. Foster. There's reason to expect he could be great. But not having so hot a camp, and there's a reason he went undrafted. So you can be optimistic, but again, can you count on him being great? No. Tight end. There's nothing you can count on there being great right now. The offensive line is improved, but what did you really do there? You added a center who's very good, but not elite. And Mitch Morse, you probably overpaid him a little bit. I still like the signing, even though you did overpay probably a little. So he's better. And then second-round pick in Cody Ford, Ty Nsecki, who was a backup in Washington. Essentially, what I'm trying to say here is there's reason to be optimistic about a whole lot on the Bills' offense this year, but what can you really count on being really good? Honestly, I think the one thing on their offense that you can count on is that Allen is going to get yards with his legs. That's the one weapon you can count on, even running back. Singletary's a rookie. 
McCoy had a down year last year. Gore is 50. You don't really know. But we know Allen can run all over the place and make Kiko Alonso look like he should have been retired the last five years. I mean, he he made Kiko Alonso look like he should be playing JV football somewhere. That's how he made him look last year. He jumped over a star linebacker in Anthony Barr. He ran for 100 yards in back-to-back games. I mean, to me, the idea of dialing that back is almost ludicrous to me. It's the one thing you can count on more than anything on their offense right now, even more so than Allen's arm. That should be a given. Because if he was as good a passer as he was a runner last year, he would have been Patrick Mahomes. He was the best running quarterback in the league last year. So I want to take that away. And I don't really think everyone's saying, oh, take it away. I think the argument for a lot of Bills fans is we want him to stay healthy. Let's just dial it back a little bit. And the re- if the rest of it gets better, you know, I think I would tend to agree with that. But I'm not all the way there yet on the rest of it getting better. I'm optimistic it's going to be better. But again, they added good players. They did not add great players. And to me, that will leave at least a little bit of a question in my mind on how good that offense is going to be. We had a discussion a few weeks ago on like what's the ceiling for this Bills offense. It's going to be better than it was last year because some of that stuff that I, I'm not sold on yet, not all of it's going to be bad. Not all of it's probably going to be work out either, but some of it will be better. Some of it will work out, which means you will be better than last year when you had Calvin Benjamin as your number one wide receiver. And... Russell Bodine and Vlad Dukas on your offensive line. So it's going to be better. But what's the ceiling? And most people were kind of in agreement with me, I think, that the ceiling is above average. But can this offense explode this year and be one of the best in the league? I just don't see that type of capability. Unless Allen just goes off and has him a Mahomes year, which I guess could happen. He has the athleticism to do it. He has the arm to do it. But I don't know how realistic I'm supposed to think that is with his accuracy issues. Because the thing about Mahomes is, yeah, he's got the cannon like Allen. That dude is on the money almost every time. He's on the money when his eyes are closed and when he's throwing behind his back. <laughs> he's, I mean, he's, he's, a, he's nuts. So unless I get that type of season or something a little watered-down version of that from Allen then I think the ceiling of this offense is only about middle of the pack. Which could be good enough. Like, I'm not saying that won't be good enough. If their defense is great, then middle of the pack offense probably gets you to the playoffs. If the defense from last year had a middle of the pack offense, they probably would have been a playoff team. And if they weren't, they would have been right there. They would have been close. So if that's their blueprint for this year, fine. But... If I'm trying to get to above average as an offense, I need him running. I think I need Allen running. 8030550 is the phone number. I got a couple calls on the line. We'll get to you right after the break. It's the nightcap with Joe DiBiase, and I got to get into my three things. I'll do that next. The three things I'm looking for most in tomorrow's preseason game. That's after this on WGR. This is like a little bit more of an up-tempo. We try to practice with good tempo. That's our standard, what we like to do. And obviously when you get against another team, it kind of ramps up a little bit more. So continual improvement, make good decisions, throw the ball where it needs to be thrown, uh, get us out of bad plays, things that you know he needs to do every day. Tempo talk from Brian Dable. 
find his full press conference on demand at WGR550.com talking Bill's offense. We got into some Josh Allen running stuff in the last segment. I'm going to get to, in a second, the three things I'm looking for the most in tomorrow's preseason game. But first, let's go through a couple of calls. 803-0550 if you want in on the conversation as well. Let's go to John in Buffalo. John, what's up? You're on the nightcap. Hey, how you doing tonight, Joe? Good. How about you? Things. Well, number one, you keep mentioning that Allen's inaccuracy, whatever. I think he's more athletic than Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes overall. But if you had Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, and Kareem Hunt, arguably three all-pros, if not the best at their positions, Allen's might not throw for 50 touchdowns, but his stats would be that much better also. They, they would. I don't think they'd be that much better, but right, that's, that's, that's a good point. And number two, I think all the offense needs to be is middle of the pack, which I think they're going to be, because this defense, from the looks of it, is going to be so tough against the run, and we've got great cornerbacks, so if we can get a little more pass rush, we're going to be, and I know nobody wants us to play that way anymore, we're defense first, but that's the team that they built. And I think the defense is going to be so dominant that we're only going to need Josh Allen and them to only be a middle-of-the-pack offense. I'll hang up and listen, guys. John, thanks for the call. I don't necessarily disagree with either of those. Um, like Part of the problem I had with the Bills last year is when they brought their rookie quarterback in, they had nothing around him. Nothing. Terrible wide receivers, a terrible offensive line, and two old running backs. Just nothing. So, yeah, if he had Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, uh, Kareem Hunt was only there for a little bit with Mahomes last year, then yeah, his numbers would look better. But he don't don't try to think he's going to be suddenly a 65% completion percentage quarterback, that he's going to be as accurate as Mahomes because of that. He's not. Like That is a big part of his game that's lacking in comparison to Mahomes. So his numbers would look better, his season would have looked better, but it wouldn't have been near, I think, what Mahomes did last year. Mahomes was 64% completion percentage for his college career. He's accurate. Just watch him play. There's very few errant throws. PFF charts like every quarterback, and their uh, their missed throws. And I, I saw Mahomes a while back for last season, and there was very few of them. Like He missed a few low, but the guy was almost on the money every time. So... There's only so much of that that's right. And then the defense point of it, like I think they'll be good. Dominant, I'm not quite there yet. I think you need to have a great pass rush to be dominant defense. And as it stands today, I really only like Jerry Hughes. That's pretty much it. I don't think Shaq Lawson, Trent Murphy give you a consistent pass rush, and I don't really think that Lorenzo Alexander will get enough snaps uh, on as a pass rusher to make a big enough impact there. If he were... The other defensive end for this season, I might change my opinion on that a bit. Or if they added like a clowny, of course, I would change my opinion on that. But as it stands today, I don't think you can be a dominant defense unless you have a much better pass rush than what the Bills had last year. And it's mostly the same pieces. So there's that. All right, three things that I'm looking forward to seeing the most tomorrow at the uh, preseason game between the Bills and the Carolina Panthers. I would have to say that the, the first thing that I'm looking for is at the running back position. So... Last week, I kind of made an argument that Gore is 36, McCoy is 31. You don't need to see them in the preseason. You should know what they're giving you. If they do play in the preseason, there could be a real competition going on at running back, especially if Singletary continues to push for more and more touches as the season gets closer. 
then maybe you don't need all of these veteran backs. Yeldon may have changed this with his fumble last week. He didn't play, I don't think, a snap after that. So if Yeldon is going to keep doing that and he's not going to make the squad, then this might change. But if McCoy plays a lot tomorrow, I don't think Gore is supposed to play, but if he is, if those guys are going to play a lot the rest of the preseason, McCoy tomorrow, then I'm going to continue to think these guys are fighting for, they might be fighting for a roster spot. So we'll see how many carries McCoy gets tomorrow. How many snaps, because Gore got two drives worth last week. The second thing I'm looking forward to seeing the most is Allen's target distribution. Week one of the preseason was a little interesting in that Zay Jones led the team in targets despite the fact he was fourth in snaps. Allen was looking his way. And he had, I think, maybe one target to John Brown, two to Cole Beasley. The rest of it was really spread out. He's worked with a lot of different receivers this training camp. Isaiah McKenzie recently, Ray Ray McLeod even, Andre Roberts a lot. What is the target share going to look like? How much is he going to use Beasley? How much? How good is Brown really that Allen will use his number one receiver like that? Or will Zay Jones continue to get you know the, the biggest share of the targets? I don't really think that should be the case. I think Zay Jones is maybe the fourth most talented receiver on this team. And I'd like to see more opportunity for Robert Foster to try to get back in the swing of things before the season starts. Because I think they could really they really need him to be productive this year. The third thing I'm looking for is tight end. Really didn't see much of anything from tight end last week. I'm worried about that position. The guy who called a couple minutes ago, uh, John, talking about the Chiefs and how they had Travis Kelsey. Yeah. Like, I'd like to have my young quarterback have a really good tight end. The Bills don't really have any semblance of one going into week one. Even if Tyler Croft was healthy. Even if Jason Kroon was healthy. Even if Dawson Knox... Dawson Knox might have changed it a little bit because he's a rookie. But I don't see a guy that can be a difference maker right now for the Bills at tight end. Tommy Sweeney, like people are saying he's looking nice. But seventh round rookie, I'm expecting him to be like really good right away. First round rookie tight ends usually aren't even good right away. So will the Bills get anything out of the position? Can they get healthy at that position? And what will they look like tomorrow when Tommy Sweeney is their starting tight end? If he does get the start. Because if that's the case, if he's the guy that's going to be starting when the Bills face the Jets next month, then I think that's kind of going to be an easy matchup for the Jets. If I were the Bills and the other team I was playing had the seventh round rookie starting a tight end, I don't think I'm getting beat up by tight ends very much. So those are the three things I'm looking for the most. How many carries does Sean McCoy get? Who is Allen throwing the ball to the most? And can Tommy Sweeney or any Bills tight end start to look like they're going to provide something week one against the Jets? 803-0550 is the phone number. We will continue to talk Bills in the next hour. Before we do hit a break, though, uh, we talked a lot of Sabres in the first hour. If you missed it earlier, the Bills or the Sabres are switching to Royal Blue jerseys in the 2020-2021 seasons. They'll play this year with the Navies. They're going to have a third jersey that they wear, too. That's going to be announced tomorrow. And then the year after, they are going to switch to Royal Blue. Also, we're still waiting on a lot of roster stuff to happen. They're over the cap. We're still lining still here. They've got a million defensemen. Sabotka, Larson, Giergensen, those guys are all still here too. So we're taking your uh, Sabre calls as well. 8030550 is the phone number. Let's get one more call in before we go to a break. Let's go to Tim and Amherst. Tim, what's up, man? You're on the cap. Tim, are you there? Tim, I set you up, man. You there? Can you hear me? Yeah, go ahead, man. Um, so 
you got people, I hear a lot of people saying that they, they like Rasmus Ristolainen, they do not want him to be traded. I heard you say a little bit ago that you don't need him to be traded, but yep. you want him to be traded. Here's my question to bo- both of those people in both of those parties. Where, if you do not trade Rasmus Ristolainen, where are you getting a legitimate second-line center from and or a top-six forward? Well, you're not. Right. So, But the thing is, I'm not, I don't know if I'm convinced that Ristolainen is going to get you that back in return or else I think they would have done it already. Uh, no, I think he absolutely gets you. I, then, well, then why, then why have they traded him? If, if Ryan Nugent Hopkins or someone like him was on the table right now, don't you think Jason Botcher would have pulled the trigger on that? I, I, I can't imagine that that's out there for them. If it was, I think he'd be gone. I know Bottrell's saying the right things about him, that he thinks he'll be better with better teammates and better matchups, and that they expect him to be back next year, like all that kind of stuff. But the Ristolainen interview he's given in Finland sounds like a guy that thinks he's going to get traded. And everything they've done on the blue line this year points to them doing it. So, no. I, the reason I don't need to see him traded is because if the best thing out there is like the, a similar package to what got you O'Reilly, then I'm passing. I don't care. I know his analytics suck. I know I have three righty defensemen that might be better. He's one of my best six defensemen. Fine, I'll wait, I'll wait and see if I can get something better. Because I'm not trading him unless I'm getting a top six forward. I'm not doing it. If I got to throw something else in little, fine. But I disagree. I think if that trade was out there for them, I think they would have made it. If Nugent Hopkins had been offered, I think they make it. If, who else is a name like this? There really isn't another name I feel like like this. If Nikolai Ehlers was offered to them for Ristolainen, I think it would have been done. All right, we will talk plenty of football in the second hour, and I do want to get into uh, the UFC card on Saturday because it's a really good one. Daniel Cormier is fighting. Uh, Nate Diaz is back. Anthony Pettis is really exciting. He's on the card. There's also a Conor McGregor thing today. I don't really want to get too much into that. But just the one thing that saddens me about combat sports is when you've got stars like that that are always in the news and it's never for the stuff they're doing in the ring or in the octagon, like it is in the other sports more so. That'll be much later, though. It's the Nightcap with Jody Biasi. More bills after this on WGR. America! The Nightcap. Hey, man! USA, baby! Woo! That's what America's all about, D. Right here, this is the USA! Oh, relax. Oh, I'm gonna sit through Oh, you gonna throw with me? Little actor boy, you wanna go with the Patriots? Get your bed. Get your bed and go. Okay? So I'll throw down. I'll throw down any day of the week. Keep your little fan and drive out of my face, okay? Before I go America, all over your Nobody can stop the USA. Yeah. But that's right. not yes. I am talking about yeah. freedom. About choice. America, I don't think you need to worry. Because if you want to beat China, you will. If you don't, that's fine. That, my friend, is your victory. What do you play for? Play for the United States of America. On WGR Sports Radio 550. It's funny how that open has transitioned from like a, you know, Veterans Day, 4th of July type open into like the regular rotation. 
Because there's some good stuff in there. You got some... It's always sunny in Philadelphia. You got... That's the office in the middle, I think. With Michael Scott. I don't really remember that scene. But that's definitely the office. And then, of course, Miracle. Afterwards. Tremendous, legendary scene, obviously. It's the Nightcap with Joe DiBiase. 803-0550 is the phone number if you want to talk sports with me tonight. Bill Sabres are both on the docket. The Royal Blue jerseys are coming back. We'll see what they look like. I bet they take a modern, obviously, uh, spin on it. But we'll see. Plus, maybe we'll get some throwback jerseys uh, this season. Red and black. Maybe the slug once or twice. Who knows? Who knows what they have up their sleeves? And then, obviously, the Bills play at Carolina tomorrow in the second preseason game. There's a couple preseason games, actually, that are underway right now. I know the Eagles are in action. The uh, you got the Raiders and the Cardinals that are just about to get underway. That one's on national TV. You can watch that one on ESPN. Kyler Murray. Um, Antonio Brown, by the way, was on the field. He was warming up. He's actually in uniform. I don't think he's supposed to play tonight. He has a new helmet on. So there's that. It definitely looks like a modern helmet, too. It's like one of those Revo uh, speed helmets or whatever that look like really futuristic. And um, he's running. I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe he's playing. I don't think he is. There'd be no reason to, right? With his feet. Like, why would you play in a preseason game? Um, so that game will be interesting. I loved watching Kyler Murray in the first one. Uh, and, yeah, there are four games underway right now. Eagles-Jaguars is the only one with a touchdown. 7 nothing there uh, for Philadelphia. And they're down to their third-string quarterback. And, I, I mean, for this game. Wentz isn't playing, but uh, their backup, Nate Sudfeld, got hurt. So, you know, it'll be tough if Philly uh, gets another Wentz injury. There's no more Nick Foles, and their backup they were supposed to replace him is hurt. So, if Wentz gets hurt again, which could happen, I mean, he's been injured throughout his career so far, then the Eagles are kind of screwed. They're kind of screwed now. So, we'll see. Bills, Panthers, tomorrow, uh, three things I was looking for. I went through that in the last segment. I'm looking for McCoy, how many carries he gets, Josh Allen with the target distribution, and also uh, Tommy Sweeney and what the other tight ends are going to look like. So all that we'll be looking out for. 803 is the phone number. Let's go to Kevin. Kevin, you're on the nightcap. What's up? Oh, hey, Joe. How's it going? Good. How about you? Oh, not too bad, thanks. Um, I, I didn't really have a comment. I just, uh, you know, I heard a lot of talk about how, how strong the offensive line may be for the upcoming season. So I just had a kind of a, wanted to get your take on what, what do you think a minimally acceptable season for, for Josh Allen is? And, and do you think he's going to, whatever you're determined to be minimally acceptable, do you think he's going to make it? I would have to say for me, the bar is a little bit higher, I think, Kevin, than most. Now, Trubisky's been a guy that's been tossed around a lot around here as like, okay, if he has Trubisky's second season, which is, you know, low 3,000s in passing, some rushing, Allen probably would be more than Trubisky, 20 or so touchdowns, 10 picks. Is that good enough? And for me, it's not. And it's partially who they drafted. If they wanted Mitch Trubisky... If they wanted a guy who they know could be serviceable in his first few years but might not have the ceiling that some of these other guys do, they should have drafted Josh Rosen. All right? That's just how it is. You, you need He needs a good offensive line, I think, around him. But I think you need... If you wanted that, you would have drafted Josh Rosen. What was the appeal of Allen? 
It was the high ceiling. It was the cannon for an arm. The ability to be one of the best quarterbacks in the league, not just a starting caliber quarterback. So for me, his bar should be higher than that of a Mitch Trubisky. I'd be looking for, not even just like team success wise, what does he do? For me, minimally acceptable would be he's got to crack 3,500 yards passing. He needs to show accuracy on a consistent basis, get that number up into the high 50s at least for completion percentage. And I think his touchdown-interception ratio has to be more than double. More than 2-1. to one. So, I don't know. That doesn't have to be a crazy amount, but if you're going to have 11 interceptions, then I need you to have at least you know, 24, 25 touchdowns throwing. Just throwing. And then also the rushing on top of that. It's a high bar, right? I get it. But all of that is still not near the top of the league. If he threw for 3,600 yards, 25 touchdowns, and 11 interceptions, that's still not near the top of the league. Last year, let's see, last year, 3,600 yards would have ranked Josh Allen. I've literally got to go like further into the list because it's actually further down than I thought. 18th. He would have been, with those numbers, last year, 18th in passing yards. What did I say? 25 touchdowns? 24 touchdowns? That'd be 16th. And then 12 interceptions, you know, middle of the pack. So that's a middle-of-the-pack season. And you could maybe say he'd be a little above average because of his, his rushing yards. So that's that's what it is for me. That's better than Trubisky, but it's still not amazing. And I think maybe from what I've heard from some fans, our bar has been lowered so much just because we've never seen a quarterback that that really we've expected to reach higher levels since Kelly. And I think we need to raise our bar a bit for Allen specifically because of what he was when you drafted him. That's a big part of it. For that pick to be successful with all the stuff he can do, wouldn't you think he's got to be a top 10 quarterback in the league? Wouldn't you want that? Wouldn't you expect that for a guy you spent all of that to get? For a guy you draft 7th overall. For a guy you draft over two other good, young, promising quarterbacks. Top 10? That's still not even like the elite elite of the elite. That's the Matt Ryan, Matt Stafford. uh, Who else is in that territory? It's higher than Derek Carr. I was about to say Jared Goff. Deshaun Watson. Even like Carson Wentz, Dak Prescott. Can you can he reach that level? Because if the Bills are going to be a good team for a long time, I think he has to be that good. And a lot of times in the league, almost most times in the league actually, to be honest, if a quarterback's going to be that level of good, you're going to see it that early. You're going to see it almost right away. Sometimes they'll go through the bumps in the rookie year like Allen did, but that second year... He got his feet wet. Now it's time for him to be legitimately good. And not just okay. So for me, acceptable is at least 3,600 yards. 
25 touchdowns. He can be in the double digits interception-wise, but not too high. And he's got to give you the rushing that he did last year. That has to be on top of it all. Be one of the better running quarterbacks in the league. And then and only then will I say that the Bills have their franchise quarterback. Because otherwise, I think we're still wondering. Like the Bears right now, I'd still be wondering if Trubisky's the guy. I don't really like Trubisky. If I were a Chicago fan, am I giving him all the credit in the world for them making the playoffs last year? They had the best defense in football. They had a really good running attack. They had a great support staff around him. Tyrod Taylor could have made the playoffs with the Bears last year with that team. So how much credit do I want to give him? And that's not a high enough bar for me. To be honest. 8030550 is the phone number. We'll take a timeout now. We'll hear some audio on the way back. Interview of the day. Captain Munnerlin. It's a really good listen. He uh, is maybe going to be vying for some starting snaps for the Bills once the regular season gets going. He's kind of taken over that nickel position uh, from Saran Neal in the, in the second team. He's got to go over Teron Johnson, which may or may not happen. I think Johnson was good last year, so I wouldn't expect that to happen. But Munderland's kind of factoring in now to the Bills having a really deep secondary, and he might cost a guy his roster spots. So we'll hear from him. Uh, who was also a former Panther, so he can give us a little insight on the Carolina Panthers, Cam Newton, etc. All right, welcome back to the Nightcap. Time for our interview of the day. Today, that's going to go to Captain Munnerlin, who's got a tremendous name. Best name on the team? Gotta have the best name on the team. He If... The, the once great Buffalo, oh, what, what would we name it? So when Ryan Gates was the host of the show and I was the producer, we had uh, the All-America, All-Buffalo name bracket. The best, to determine the best name in Buffalo sports history, which ended up going to Booby Dixon in a terrible disservice to Mansfield Rado, who should have ran away with that thing. Just, oh. How do you lose to how do you beat a name like Mansfield Rado? But if that bracket had come back, if we did a second one, Captain Munnerlin might very well win it. Like he's gotta have the best name in Buff. Does he have the best name in Buffalo Sports right now? Gotta. There's no more Cap Cappy. That was a good one. Um there's really not a lot of great ones on the Sabres I can think of off the top of my head. Linus Allmark's pretty good. No, Captain Munderland, definitely. The, I'm going to go with it. The best name on either Buffalo team right now. Um, he's an interesting dude. He's going to factor into how many uh, how many corners the Bills keep. He might be one of them. He is a former starter of the Panthers, very familiar with Carolina. He joined Murph and Tasker, so here is Captain Munderland. Great name with uh, with the guys earlier today. Quarterback Captain Munnerlin is with us. Hi, Captain. Hey, how you nice doing? to meet you. Thanks for yes, coming sir. by. Yes, Great sir. to see you, man. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. You this bet. has got to be easy for you. You're right back in your basically <laughs> your neighborhood, right? Where oh, you yeah. went you went here to camp for what, seven or eight years? Seven years. I was here for seven years and uh last year I was here. So uh, I'm back in my backyard that I'm used to. I'm comfortable with it. Um I was telling the guys in the locker room it's gonna be hot, so make sure you hydrate and don't wear long sleeves. You were yeah, you were in South Carolina in college, too. Yes, I mean, this yes. is really. The Carolinas have been my home since 2006, since I left high school. You know, I've there been in go. the Carolinas, and, you know, I've always been my home, and I made it my home. Yeah. 
coming back now, you, it, it, what do you, what was your first impression when you came in wearing a different color jersey? And uh, what was it, your impression coming down that hill? Coming down the hill, it was different. It was different. Uh, you know, we took a bus, so coming down the hill, yeah, walking yeah, down yeah. the hill, and um, you know, seeing the, the different color jerseys, and I got a different color jersey on now. And the fans still like captain with all the Carolina stuff. It's like, oh, oh. I don't even want to sign that no more. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm with the Buffalo Bills now. So, um, but it was definitely different. But at the same time, it's exciting, man, to go out there and just to be playing football again. Right. You've been on the move. Now, you live in Charlotte. The Bills brought you up, what, over the weekend Saturday? Yes, sir. And talked to you. They did not practice Saturday, but got a, uh, got a meeting with you. And then on the practice field in Buffalo Sunday. Yes. And then flew down here Monday. <laughs> yes. Uh, I actually made a joke with uh, – with Bean and Coach McDermott, I was like, listen, y'all could have just waited till y'all got to Spartanburg. Yeah. I could have got my clothes together, got myself together, right. did what I need to do, and got on the practice field. But uh, right. they, it, was, it, was, it was a key for me staying and, you know, get to know my teammates. Uh, you know, if you see – if you're a new guy, uh, you want to know your teammates. And then if I would have just showed up down here and say if I got in a little scuffle, you know, those guys don't know me. Right. You know what I'm saying? So to, to have that day under my might belt. Be, might be all by yourself. Yes, right? yes. And, you know, <laughs> I was just being real. And – you know, being that I got a day under my belt, they right. got to know me for a full day, got to see what type of person I am and, and things like that. Uh, you know, I felt like, you know, if I did got into something, they had my back. There was yeah. no scuffle today. Where did we left? No, the, no it was going on. No, it was yeah, nothing going cool, on. Right? It, was, it was cool, clean football, a lot of trash talking, but at the same time, it was clean. Guys had fun, and uh, we competed. You, this is different, though. When you come in and bring two teams from other training camps, you bring them together, there's always that thought about, wow, how is this going to go? Yes. There's gonna, you have to manage – the tempo and you have to manage the intensity because if you don't it it'll get out of hand in a hurry what what do you get what's the best part about this for your team How, what's this tell you about your team what's the benefits uh the benefits for it is it's going against somebody else you know on a daily basis we've been going against each other you know being a training camp you go against each other every single day uh you get tired you know you get tired of going against the same guys and it's a good benefit for the coaches to evaluate to evaluate you with some of your peers in the NFL, you know, some of the guys around the league. So uh, it's definitely a great benefit for us. And both teams, I think both teams did a great job today just going out there competing. They kept it between the lines. And um, I feel like we made plays when it came to us. And uh, I really feel like we, we, we won today. The Kevin, Buffalo Bills won Kevin, today. You went deep into the summer without a team. Were, yes. you, were you always intending on playing? or were you Yes. I, 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 never, I never thought about retiring. Uh, you know, guys was asking me, man, what are you going to do, Captain? What are you going to do? Uh, I never thought about retiring because I still love the game. I still feel like I got a lot of football left in me. Um, like I told y'all guys before we got on air, um, 31 years old. You know, everybody look at me like, oh, he's so old. I'm only 31 years old. I got a lot of football left in me. I've just been in the wrong – I've just been around the league a long time. That's all. But right. got a lot of football left in me, and I'm ready to roll. Yeah, you started young. You got to, came out of South Carolina. You were 20. Yes, sir. When you got drafted, yep. came out. Played with them for five years, and he spent three years in Minnesota. Tell us about your experience up in the NFC North. Oh, oh man, it was a great experience. Uh, it was my first time ever actually playing in cold weather. Uh, we played yeah. outside for the first two years. My my first two years standing up there was outside, and then we went inside. But uh, it was great, man. It was a great experience. Uh, I never really seen snow before because I'm from Mobile, Alabama originally. Oh yeah. And uh, to get up there and see all that snow and the practice in the snow and have some of those Coles game was it, it really made me tough. You know, it really made me tough. So uh, it definitely was a different experience, but I love that experience in Minnesota. It was a great, great time for me. Yeah, Minnesota is gonna will be much colder than it will be in Buffalo. You might get more snow in Buffalo, but it's colder in Minnesota. Oh really? Than it is in Buffalo. Yeah. Oh wow! Well, wow. I can definitely handle it. Then. I, I, yeah. th you go along with that, oh, right? I agree with that. Sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. absolutely. Well, because I definitely had a game in the playoffs where it was negative like 14 degrees Oof, in Minnesota. We played Seattle. That. You won't get that. You won't get that <laughs> in Buffalo. But, I had to go to the yeah. sideline every every TV timeout. I was on the sideline <laughs> like this, then run back on the field. <laughs> nickel, nickel, nickel. I feel, I feel you, bro. 
bro. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's cold, yeah. yeah. Talk a little bit. What's your outlook? I mean, what did they tell you when they signed you? What do they expect you to do? Obviously, it's important to them what they're trying to build here. One yes. of the things we always hear about is DNA. Yes. So they knew the kind of guy you were, and that's really important in this locker room. Yes, it's, it's very important. I actually went to – know coach mack and uh coach being i mean being today and uh told him man y'all y'all really building a great football team around here you know the personnel that they got the people that they have you know it's great teammates man uh just to be around the guys for a couple of days you know you can tell you know it's a great atmosphere that they got in that building and uh what they what they want out of me man is just come in compete uh be a leader that like i am uh i don't want to step on nobody's toes uh anything like that but uh you know, we got a lot of young guys in the secondary, especially at the cornerback position and at the nickelback position. So they just want me to come in and, you know, bring them under my wings. And uh, if it's, you know, a competition, I told those guys when they first signed me, I talked to the young guys. I said, listen, competition bring out the best of everybody. You know, if I'm playing at my very, a very high level and I raise your game up and you playing at a very high level, it brings make everybody better. It makes mm-hmm. the team better. So I'm all about going out there competing. And I told those guys, that's what I'm here for, just compete. If you win a job, you win a job. But we definitely going to go out there. We're going to compete, and we're going to see who who's going to win a job, the best man win. With yeah. Bill's corner, Captain Munnerlyn just signed to the roster over the weekend. It's good competition in that, in that cornerback group, right? Yes, sir. Levi yes, sir. Wallace, Tredavious White, uh, Kevin Johnson, um, Taryn Johnson. Yes. Saran Neal's running nickel a little bit. Yes, sir. Where do you fit in? Are you a nickel primarily? Is that? Oh, way? yeah, that's, that's basically my position. Um, you know, Coach McDermott, he, he had me when I was a young pup. And uh, they taught me the nickel position in this defense, and I fell in love with it. Uh, I'm definitely a nickel back. I love it. Uh, but if, if it's time for me to play outside, I can do it too. Uh, but uh, nickel is definitely is my primary role. I love it. Uh, I'm a great blitzer. I bring toughness. And you got to be able to fit the run in this right. defense, especially in nickel. You know, you never know what Coach McDermott is going to put you in the box, and right. you got to go out there and make tackles. And one of the things I want to ask you about that you mentioned just a minute ago that a lot of people – outside of football, really have a hard time getting their mind around. So you're in this room with eight, ten guys playing corner. You're all playing for the same spot. Yes. And you're only going to keep like five of you, six yes. of you maybe, a guy in practice squad. It's hard for people to understand the not just the mentorship you're offering, guys who are competing for the same role as you, but also the friendship you you form with these guys. Yes, how, how positive the room is, how guys cheer for each other, hoping for the best for each other knowing that they're hoping the best for you. Yeah. It's, a, it's a real unique atmosphere for guys who, you know, a handful of which or whatever will be cut yeah. uh, because of that competition. But it's true. Yeah, there it's is a real positive vibe in the room, I would imagine. Yes, sir, right? very, yeah. Positive, yeah. very positive, very um, positive. I'm a firm believing God, man. You put out good energy in this world, you get good energy back. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, guys, we know we're competing. We know we're going at it. And uh, we know we, we fight for, like you said, five or six roster spots. But at the mm-hmm. same time, uh, I always tell you guys, man, if you put great film out there and you're a great teammate and you're making plays, somebody will find you. Mm-hmm. You know, it might not be with this organization. It might not be, you know, with the team that you're hoping for. But at the same time, if you go out there and you ball out and you put great film out there, somebody will find you. And the coaches on this staff also know people around the league, too. So they're going to get asked yes. about you, yes. how you like, how you are in the meeting room, how you were with the young guys, how you manage what kind being, of mentored, you are. being mentored by an yes, older sir. guy as a young guy. All of that goes into the pod, and that keeps you with a job. Gets you an eleven-year career. Yes, sir. Correct. Yes, sir. It gets you an eleven-year career. Get you with a job. It keeps you right. with a job because when coaches call around and you know you're not the best teammate or you you know you're you're not great with this, great with that, then it gets around the league. You know, we're yeah. travel around the mouth around the league. So you try to go out there, you try to be the best teammate, best competitive, and you go out there and try to compete. Yeah. Captain, what what do you think of this uh, 
joint practicing. You've probably done it either in yes. Minnesota or Carolina before. What do you? What does a team get out of it going up against somebody? Oh, uh, it, it's a fun fact, man. You you get to go out there and you you get to compete and against different guys. You know, instead of going against your guys every single day and training camp, it's a grind. And, you know, some teams don't do it at all. Right. But uh, some teams, have they fortunate to go out there and do it. And, and it's just a grind, man, to go out there against somebody else that don't know you. You know, as the time is go on, you start to know your teammates when you go against them. You know, you start to know their moves. Uh, like a couple guys probably say, oh, yeah, he's aggressive when he do this. But those guys over there, they don't know you. Right. You know, they don't know you by – no, in training camp, you know, they probably know you during the season when they study film and stuff like that. But uh, it's definitely different, but at the same time, it's fun. I, I love practicing against somebody else because you get tired of going against the same guys sure. every single day, especially in training camp for 21, 22 days that you're there. Sure. Yeah, so you're going to be down here all week, and then they roll in, you know, Thursday, Friday, you'll go back to Charlotte, roll into Charlotte, and uh, get ready for that game Thursday night. Uh, what are your thoughts about being back in that stadium playing – against that team uh, I did it before in my career uh, when I was in Minnesota we came there in Charlotte and um, we played against the Panthers it was a different feeling uh, yeah. and to come back uh, this early in the preseason and uh, I just left there <laughs> right. it's gonna be different right. um, but at the same time man I, like I said I just love the game of football I'm just happy I got a job and I get to go out there and I get to compete you know and and I got the call at the right time, you know, uh, to get myself ready and get myself playing into football shape and uh, be ready to roll. You'll get up to uh, Charlotte with the rest of the Bills later this week and hopefully get your stuff together. You said Yeah, you I, I got to go home. I got to go home <laughs> yeah, and get me some right. clothes, yeah, man. Yeah. I, told, <laughs> I told Coach Mac McDermott, I said, Coach Mac, man, come on, man. Can I get go home and get me some clothes <laughs> right. and then come back? But they weren't going for it. They would <laughs> yeah. not let me go to the airport. Yeah, nothing, but, yeah, nothing but Bills gear to wear now, yeah, right? You got to keep going Bills through gear. the T-shirts. Yeah. Yeah, you got yeah. family up in Charlotte then, a couple, yes. of, a couple of boys? And the little girl? Yeah, yeah. I got uh, two boys and one girl. Uh, my son, he actually just left practice with his mom, with my wife. And uh, I get to go home and, you know, see them and, you know, love on them before I, you know, leave back out. How? I just want your sons, I'm looking at the sh the, your two sons, Captain and Champ. Yeah. Great names. Yeah. How'd you come up with those? Uh, who, well, who named you Captain? Uh, my great grandfather's name was Captain, and my grandmama, um, she named me. My mama promised my grandmama. She could name the last child, and I was the baby boy of the family. <laughs> so she named me after her dad, and my great-grandfather was named Captain Moore. So uh, I'm Captain Munlin, and I have a son that I scarred with the name Captain. Is he a junior yes, or a third? Yes, he's Captain, he Captain Munlin Jr. Excellent. So, yeah. And what about Champ? Champ, man, this is a crazy story. Uh, my wife got pregnant when I was in Minnesota, and um, I was going around the locker room, and she said if it was a boy, I'd get to name him. So I was going around the locker room asking the guys. I was like, yo, uh, what can I name my son? <laughs> and uh, you had guys like Adrian Peterson, Anthony Boy, uh, Harrison Smith. All those guys were chiming in. Like, you should name him this, you should name him that. And uh, Harrison Smith, actually, him and uh, Sandejo came up with a name. They was like, man, you should name him Champion. I said, Champion? I said, I don't know if I like Champion. And uh, I was like, man, you know what, how about Champ? And everybody was like. That's it, champ. And they used to call me Tyler up there. They never wanted to call me Captain. I was like, we're not calling you Captain. We're calling you Tyler. Where they get so that? they just gave me that name. <laughs> <laughs> Those guys just gave me the name. So Congratulations. I named we're going to name you something else. Yeah. <laughs> so my name was Tyler up there. So my son's name is Champ Tyler Munnerlin. So here's the thing now. You're going to go into this game. You're going to be playing for the Bills back in, in uh, Charlotte. All the family going to be there, right? Yes, sir. 
they got their Bills gear instead of the Panther gear? Are they going to change well, over or what? They Is definitely got to change over. I don't want right? to see no Panther gear right? anymore. They have to. Uh, my son actually showed up at practice today. He didn't have a Bill T-shirt on, but he definitely had the color. Um, he's a big Spider-Man fan. So. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, it fits. All right. So, yeah, so it fits. His Air Force Ones he had on was red, white, and blue. There you go. Uh, he had a Spider-Man hat on. So I was like, he fitting in. So definitely got to give them some Bill gear because I don't want to see nothing Carolina no there more. You go. That's great. Captain, and it's great to meet you. Thank yes, sir. You for coming Thanks by. for having me. All right, there he is, Captain Munnerlin. Great name. He kind of gives you the history there on that. All right, I'm going to take an early break here because I want to get into some of that UFC card because I will not be on the air tomorrow. And generally, if you listen to the show, the day before a big UFC card, I like to spend a little time on it. I will not be on the air tomorrow because the Bills play the preseason game against the Panthers, obviously. So I'll do a little of that when I return. So the nightcap, uh, by the way, big card. So the nightcap with Jody Biasi, 803-0550. If you want to get any last Bills thoughts in before I do that, and some Sabre stuff too, because we spent a lot of time on them as well. It's the nightcap with Jody Biasi on WGR. Obviously a lot of experience, so I know where guys should be. So I'm trying to tell them, if you want the ball, this is where you got to be, which um, is hopefully good learning for those guys, and it's good teaching for me. I think that's just part of a – I always say the quarterback can't do anything without the receivers, and the receiver can't do anything without the quarterback, which makes it you know, a really great relationship. And that's why we work hard at it. That's why you spend the time with those guys and you put all the work in. There's Tom Brady. Just There will amazingly come a day where – He's just not going to be talking anymore because he's not playing football. But that time has not yet come. Uh, he's talking about some of the young receivers there in New England. One of them is Nikhil Harry, who, like, if you're in a dynasty rookie draft, he's typically the second guy picked. And that's not necessarily just because of, obviously, his talent. He was the second receiver to be picked, and there were a lot of receivers that went right after him. It's, the, it's really the spot that he landed. And... If you haven't spent too much time thinking about who Brady's going to be throwing to this year, it's Edelman and a bunch of guys you maybe have never heard of. Now, Harry is one, like first-round rookie, but the problem is New England does not have a good track record of drafting receivers early, and he's reportedly has been struggling throughout camp. So might not be a big difference maker early in the season. The Bills obviously play them week four. Um, and then tight end, there's nothing there. It's... Matt Lacoste, who was barely on the Broncos roster last year, was like a third stringer. Uh, ben Watson, who's old and suspended for the first four games. Even when he comes back, the Bills won't have to play him until the Week 16 matchup, if he's even healthy for that. And that's like it. They don't really have anybody else. There's not much there to work with. So I'm not really too worried about New England's obvious, uh, guys that are going to be catching the ball, but obviously Brady... We'll probably make them look like all-stars, but we'll see. Uh, there's a preseason game actually going on right now. The Raiders lead the Cardinals 10 to nothing, and man, Kyler Murray, it can move. Like he is, he's like Darren Sproles. He looks like Darren Sproles when he has the football, but he can throw it. Like and he's got zip and it comes out of his hand quick. Like you can just see the natural throwing ability that he has. He's got a cannon, despite the fact that he's under six feet tall. So I'm big on the Cardinals this year. I think they're going to be a curiosity. I don't think they're going to be a playoff team, but their over-under number is at five, and I think they're going to smash that. Is seven or eight smashing that? I think they'll come in a couple wins above what their over-under is. I just think that offense with Kingsbury is going to be dynamic, and Kyler Murray looks really good. I think David Johnson's the best running back in football, 
and they got a lot of good receivers. So part of it is, for me, I think they're going to look similar to what Houston's looked like. Not a good offensive line, but a lot of weapons and a very mobile quarterback who can make up for the fact that your offensive line isn't very good. And that's what Deshaun Watson has done the last two years in Houston. Murray could do the same thing, I think, in Arizona, where he can kind of make up for some of the deficiencies that the offensive line has because he is so mobile and he is so good at getting away from pressure. There was just a play that happened in this game where like two guys came in unblocked towards him and he spun behind him to the right, like almost like a, a move you would only see Russell Wilson make in the NFL. And he did it super quick, and by the time... By the time he turns around, like he's already ready to throw again. So he's got what looks like to me a lot of talent, and he's going to be really good, I think. Um, so there's that. Before I get into the UFC stuff, though, because the UFC 241 is on Saturday, I want to talk a little bit about that before we get out of here. It's a really nice card. Um, you know, big fantasy draft on Saturday for me, and this is – it's you – I would – I would suggest to everybody, find one great league. At least one. I am, I've am. i been offered probably a dozen league invites this year that I turned down. Because I've reached a point where I'm in five leagues. I'm in, I'm in six leagues, but two of them are best balls. So I don't really have to pay attention to them. And then four leagues that I'm constantly paying attention to. One of which, we're having our 10th draft on Saturday. That's like the big league for me. And I would suggest like everyone find the one big league. One that just kind of ranks above all the others. If you don't already have one. And if that has to come by limiting your amount of leagues. like I would actually suggest to people, limit it to no more than six. That That's me personally. I don't, it's tough for me to kind of put all enough enough resources into all six, seven, eight teams or so and expect them all to be good. But especially if you're a casual player, limit it to one or two or three and just try to be really good in those couple of leagues. Like whenever you're thinking about fantasy, it makes it more fun for me. Like if you got a Monday night game and you've got Juju Smith Schuster on one side and and on one team, but you're playing against him on another team, well, that kind of sucks. You don't really have a rooting interest. And what's kind of the whole point of fantasy football? Wouldn't one of the big reasons it even exists is it gives you a rooting interest in games you would otherwise not care about. Two years ago, there was a Thursday night game between the or three years ago between the Jaguars and Titans when they were both like three and seven and wearing those disgusting puke-colored uniforms the Jags used to have. And I was watching that game. Between like Blake Bortles and I, I don't know who was that quarterback for, uh, for, was it Charlie Whitehurst? I don't know. It wasn't Mariota. And I was watching that game because I had fantasy implications. And that can go away if you have too many leagues. That's why I've limited myself. If you've got conflicting rooting interests, that kind of washes it out. And what's the point? So... Just a little advice to those who are maybe joining a bunch of leagues right now. Try to limit it just a little bit to like one or two. Um, so there's that. All right, quickly on UFC 241, which is coming up on Saturday for you fight fans. I, I think this is one of the better cards we've seen in recent months and maybe the best, probably the best one this month. You've got two big names on the main event between 
Daniel Cormier and Stipe Mayakic. Those two have fought already. Cormier won. He's interesting because he's kind of the good guy. He had this big rivalry with John Jones, who has been arrested and suspended for steroids and started a fight at a press conference. And like the guy you wouldn't typically want to root for, but yet he's the guy everybody roots for. And Cormier, good guy, like family guy, broadcaster, like does everything the right way. For some reason, he rubs people the wrong way and everyone roots against him. Well, and he's actually the one who fought here. And I think he got booed a little bit. I'm trying to remember that. So they're fighting, and that's going to be a really good one. And then the one I'm almost more excited about is the the second or the fight right before it between Anthony Pettis and Nate Diaz, who you may remember as the guy who beat Conor McGregor and then almost beat him again. I don't know how to feel about him. I haven't seen a ton of his fights. I've just kind of got into the UFC the past couple years, and he has been out of the UFC for the past couple years. But he's back, and from what I've seen from Anthony Pettis, who is fun, dynamic, exciting, younger, uh, man, like the odds are kind of a, a lot in favor of Diaz right now. Like they're really close, and I think this should be a big... I should. The, the, I would bet heavily on Pettis if I was a betting man on this. Um, maybe that's just me not knowing a lot about Nate Diaz, but at least the fact that he's back uh, is exciting enough. And speaking of Conor McGregor, I might as well touch on that while I'm on the topic of UFC. Part of why I kind of grew up as like a combat sports fan. No, not even a combat. I, I grew up as a boxing fan. I mentioned it once in a while on the air here. Not too much because the sports kind of died and not almost nobody cares. But I grew up a boxing fan, got into UFC a little bit later on just because that actually has the superstars fighting each other more often. And what's sad is what's happened to Conor McGregor is what kind of happened to boxing, which is why I kind of fell out of love with the sport. In part. Like, I still I will watch it, and I still like it. But what just always rubbed me the wrong way was these stars that would emerge would like once they reach stardom, once they got a taste of money, because there's no organization above them that's forcing them to fight only the best of the best, they kind of don't fight that often, but they're they're always in the news, but it's always for stuff they're not doing in the ring. It's oh, they might fight this guy, and oh, he said this about this guy, and oh, they're in a contract dispute, and oh, this deal might be close, but no, it's not. Oh, and there's a there's legal issues here, here, and here. And that has what is ha- that's what's happened to Conor McGregor in UFC. He's reached a point where he has fought once in the UFC in the last what two and a half years, almost three years now. He's fought once and lost. And every time the guy is in the news, like today, it's for something in negative, like something legally, something that doesn't really matter to the sport that he's supposed to matter in. He's making news for the wrong reasons. And this time, it's him getting into trouble with the law again. He There's a TMZ video of him punching a dude at... Punching an older guy in a bar in Dublin. Just being an ultimate jerk. And... It saddens me that he's reached that point. Because he was super exciting coming up. And he's reached that full like boxer status. Superstar boxer status. Where he's never fighting. He is always in the news. But for reasons not... Related to his sport... And that's just kind of where we are. He doesn't really fight anymore. So, that's where it is. All right. 
Thanks, everybody, for listening to the show tonight. I'm going to get out of here and uh, go do some hockey stuff. I got a couple games tonight, or one game tonight. And I'll be back, though, tomorrow. I'll be producing the game, but I'll be here throughout the afternoon show. Stay tuned for ESPN Radio next. And then tomorrow, we will have pregame of Bills and Panthers starting at 4 o'clock. So getting you ready for the game in Carolina. The Bills and Panthers will kick off at 7. You can hear that right here on WGR. As always, you can listen to my full show on demand at WGR550.com and the radio.com app. So until Monday, have a good weekend. This has been the Nightcap with Jody Biasi on WGR.